0: everybody? Everybody doing all right? Doing good? Good. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, right now uh, from an off-site campus or on the internet, wherever you happen to be. We're glad that you're along. We're in uh, week nine of a six-week series. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just telling the truth here. Uh, I love it. In fact, there's at least two more weeks to go. I know that. Here's what we're thinking about doing, okay? Tell me what you think about this. We're thinking about there's so many of these statements, these outrageous statements that Jesus made. We're thinking about on the on the last week, which I think might be Father's Day because we got something else coming up right after Father's Day. But uh, we um, we're thinking about doing a Q and A where, where the, we just like, like if you if you're reading one and you go what what's this mean? How how's that sound? I think that, we, that those are kind of dangerous, and so it might be good for Father's Day. And then we'll kind of twist some of them around to where they apply to fathers and, you know, that type thing. Actually, we don't twist anything. It's God's word, people. (laughs) What are you thinking? (laughs) Okay, let me tell you a story. All right, right or wrong, okay? I want you to listen to what I'm going to tell you right now, and I want you to make a value judgment on it. Is it right or is it wrong? Let's suppose that you have a friend. And this friend is a mortgage banker, and she has made a series of bad loans. And so the boss sends her a text or an email and says, I want you to meet with me this afternoon. I want you to bring in all the stuff on the, the loans that you've given, the bad loans, and we're going we're to have an accounting on it. So your friend panics, and she figures that she's going to lose her job. And so she gets on the phone, and she calls some people. She calls, uh, one, she says, hey, listen, I was just reviewing your files, and we're charging you too much interest, and we're going to go ahead and cut the interest in half, and have you know that she would then be on the Christmas list, okay? That's a good, good thing. She calls another one, and she says, you know, I was going through your records, and I noticed that you got your loan in 2008, just before the bubble, you bought your property. Anybody have a testimony on that at all? And, and so she says, you know, you bought your property real high, and I know the appraisal is way lower than that, and so I've talked to our loan department. We're reassessing your loan, and you now owe half of what you used to, okay? Now, that's the story. Is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? Oh, crickets. Is what she did good or bad? Bad. Is it right or wrong? What would Jesus say about what she did? Well, he might use it as an illustration in a positive way on how to show his followers to act. Because that's how outrageous he is. Okay? And so what we're going to do today is uh, we're in this series, Outrageous, and talking about outrageous things that Jesus said how we apply them to our life. And this week, we're going to talk about an outrageous parable uh, that's called the parable of the shrewd money manager. And it's very similar to the story that I just told you. In fact, it's found uh, in, uh, where's it found? In Luke chapter 16. And if you have a Bible, you may want to read along if you have, you know, if it's on your phone or whatever, It's on our outline sheet, it'll also be up on the screen. I just want to kind of read the story, comment on it a little bit, then we'll get some lessons from it, okay? So in verse 1 of Luke 16, Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. And one day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. And so the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you get your report in order because you're gonna be fired. Now the manager thought to himself, now what, my boss has fired me and I don't have the strength to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. He, sees, he says, I got two options here. I can go into manual labor and I'm getting too old for that, I don't have the strength to do it and I'm too proud to beg, so what am I gonna do? So he says, Oh, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. And so he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe? The guy replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. Now, why in the world would you want 800 gallons of olive oil? I have no idea, but that's what he owed, okay? So he says, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And uh, then, then uh, the next guy said, and, and how much do you owe my employer? And he asked, he asked him, and he said, I owe 100 bushels or 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. And so here the manager said, take the bill and change it to, to 800 bushels. Now, this is where we would expect Jesus to say, and the money manager died and burned forever in hell like a hot dog on a Weber grill, okay? Because he did the wrong thing, right? And then you would expect him to stop and do a teaching on honesty even when it can cost you your job, right? That's what you think he's gonna do, not so much. Next verse. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. You, You know what that's like if you have kids? And your kid does something or says something, and they come up with an excuse that is pure, baloney, bogus. But it is so good that you hear thinking, where did he got that from his mom, I'm sure, you know? But uh, that's pretty incredible. <laughs> I was, oh man, my, uh, my grandson, I have so many, so many illustrations of that. My, my grandson, uh, Miles, um, they, they carpool. I can only tell these stories up to a certain point. Then they'll be in here, so I'll, I'll use them now. He's six, and carpools with his uh, cousin Addison because they go to the same school, and they live in the same neighborhood, you know. And uh, uh, Addison's mama, Jenna, who's my daughter-in-law, uh, texted Miles' daddy, Josh, said, Are you confused? I mean, it's kind of in there. It's, there's a lot of people involved. But anyway, text... Miles' daddy, Joshua, the other day, and she said on the way to school this morning, Miles hatched a plan to ask for a million-dollar bill for his birthday. He was going to save it until next Mother's Day to give to Lisa, his mom, in return for privileges to play a certain video game that they won't let him play. (laughs) Did you get that? He wants a million dollars so he can give it to mom so that then he can play the video game, you know. And so Jenna says, he's a strategic thinker and showing characteristics of boldness, patience, and perseverance. Obviously not afraid to make the big ass or set long-term goals. Despite his current desire to play that game, I'm sure the Lord is going to channel that drive for his glory, and Miles is going to be a world changer. Jenna always sees the positive <laughs> in everything. And that would like, That would be like Jesus saying, because Jesus made this story up, you know. Why doesn't Jesus do nice nursery rhymes? This isn't real life stuff. He makes this stuff up. He can say anything he wants. He makes this up. And he he has the honest guy, the manager, say, you know, this guy's so shrewd, you know. He's so shrewd. And then Jesus makes a comment on the story. He said, and It's true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. And then he says, here's a lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. And then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. And then he goes on and he, and he teaches this lesson to his disciples on the power of money and generosity. Now, do you know somebody, maybe they're a friend or they're somebody at work, who are the worst at picking conversations, you know? when they, You're in a social setting, and they start talking about something, and you cringe. It's like, no, no, let's don't. God, there are people here that will be offended by it, that whole thing. That's Jesus, okay? That's Jesus. You're going to find out that in the crowd, there are some people that are going to cringe, with what he's got to say, but he does it on purpose. And he turns things upside down with what you would expect him to be. And so he, he does this little teaching on the power of money. Now, how many of you could use some extra wisdom as it relates to money? Anybody in here? A little extra wisdom? Okay, good. Four of us, and we're going to do great. <laughs> so let me give you three things Jesus teaches us in here. It's good stuff. It's going to be fun. Uh, The first one, I I say this, money can't buy you love, but it can get you some best friends forever, okay? Remember, you remember John uh, or Paul McCartney, because I don't care too much for money and money can't buy me love. Later on, he said it actually could. But anyway, money can't buy you love, but it can get you some best friends forever. Would you agree that people are attracted to generous people? Would you agree with that? I mean, I, I look in our, our own home, uh, we used to have animals, uh, now we have grandkids, and, and um, in both situations, they're much more attracted to their grandmother than they are to me. And I thought about that, I was just kind of feeling bad about it one day, and I thought, why is that the case? It's because she feeds them. And she lets them use their stuff, her stuff, and she buys them things, and she's much, much more generous than I am. Proverbs 11 and verse 25 says, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And so in this parable, the guy that Jesus makes the hero kind of, uh, and, and yet he's, it's kind of a compare and contrast thing. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But the hero of the parable makes friends with his money. Even if it's somebody else's money. Have you know that's wise, to make friends with somebody else's money. Okay, now Jesus is not Jesus is not saying, you know, go, uh, you know, uh, take your boss's money and use it, you know, to make friends that you'll probably go to jail for that. But what he's using here is he's using a... Uh, a, a means of communication called compare and contrast. He, uh, he compares something. He says, you know, learn something good from the, the comparison. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, learn from this guy. The people of the world are shrewder. They're just wiser about how they use money than the people of the light. And then in a minute, he'll give you a contrast. And In other words, do, don't do that, but do, do something else. And so, and so that's what he's doing, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a minute. And and, and so he gives that first lesson. He says, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. And then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. This is a fun verse because I had several of the pastors even around here who said to me, when I said, I'm going to attack this one, they said, good, I don't have a clue what that verse means. Been to college, been to seminary, done all this kind of stuff. This one has always confused me. What does he mean? Let's break it down just a little bit couple of observations. First of all, a crash is coming, okay? A crash is coming. Say, thank you, pastor. I'm so glad you shared that with us tonight. A crash is coming. Circle the word when. He says, he doesn't say if the sm- stock market crashes, if one of your investment goes wrong, if, you know, you lose your job. He says when. He says here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit in others, make friends, then win your earthly possessions. Now, this guy in the story knew he was getting fired, and so that was the win. But Jesus was talking to his followers. He was talking to you and I. When is the win? The win is when you die. He says, your, your income. Source will dry up when you die, unless you're Elvis or Michael Jackson. For them, death was a great career move, okay? But for you, for you, it probably won't be. Have you know that they, there are no U-Hauls on a hearse? Have you, have you noticed that? You don't take it with you. And Jesus says, when you die, there's coming a crash. Your money's going to be gone. It's going to burn, okay? You can't take it with you but he says your money can outlast you if you invest in people. He says there will be a great crowd of people to welcome you to eternity. Can outlast. See if the money manager kind of would have taken his boss's money and he would have just bought fast cars and lots of real estate, he'd have gone to jail and nobody would have remembered him. But because he invested in people, Jesus says, learn from this crook. So the next question is, uh, how do you do that? How do you, how, practical ways to make friends with your money. I thought about that. One of the ways you can do it, I'm going to give you a list. Maybe the Holy Spirit will just kind of quicken one of these to you, and it'll be what he's telling you for tonight. Some of us, that means canceling a debt, kind of like this guy did, only with your own money, okay? Um, right now, there may be somebody that owes you money, And a way that you could make friends for eternity would be to cancel the debt. Should you cancel every debt? No. But there are some that probably as you're listening to the Holy Spirit, he might even be saying right now, giving you a name, saying cancel a debt. Another way you can make friends with your money is become a big tipper. Become a big tipper. I've said before, uh, if you attend this church, you should tip at least 20%. Okay? I mean, where's that in the Bible? It's not. It's in the book of Greg. It's just being generous as a, as, as a Christian, as a believer. And if you become a, a, an excessive tipper, you will make friends. Trust me, you'll get good tables, good service, all that kind of thing. Or pay for the coffee of the person behind you when you're in line. Make a regular habit. You don't have to do it every time, but make a regular habit of it. You can make friends with your money. Pick up the check for someone's dinner in a restaurant. Uh, put, put something in the graduation envelope. Are you getting a lot of graduation envelopes right now? This is the time of year you get them. Put something in the graduation envelope, even if you don't know them or you don't like their mother. Doesn't matter. Just do it because you can make friends for eternity. Uh, sponsor a child, to summer camp. Um, I was thinking about our summer camp uh, this year. I know uh, as a kid, some of the, the greatest progress, greatest moves I made spiritually in my life we're at summer camp. We have great summer camp, and so you know, you could sponsor a kid uh, to s- summer camp and make friends for eternity. Uh, help pay for someone's mission trip. Uh, help sponsor a child in another country. There are all kinds of things that you can do that makes friends with your money and always err on the side of generosity, especially when it involves people. So, what will be the results? Jesus says they will welcome you into your eternal home. He makes it eternal. He makes it eternal. It's not just about what's here and now. He says, look at this guy. Look what he did. This guy's shrewd, a little crooked, but shrewd. You guys need to learn from that because if you'll use your money to make friends, then they will welcome you into your eternal home. What does that mean? That means that when you... When you do one of the things that I talked about, or maybe something else that you think of that when the end of it comes, when you die and you can't take it with you, he's saying there will be a crowd of people in heaven, a crowd of people in heaven who will say you didn't know it, but when you gave this is what it did. you didn't realize it, but when you um, when you gave toward um, your your neighbor or uh, your your niece or your nephew or somebody at church to go on a mission trip. Uh, I was one of the people that received the medical help. I was one of the people that received, you know, the 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 gift of love and labor and whatever it was. You had no idea, but it's an amazing thing up here in heaven. God opened our eyes to that, and I just want to say, wow! Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Jesus is saying, if you'll make friends with your money, you can have best friends forever, forever. And so he says to his people, he says, be generous. Always err on the side of generosity. Gives a whole new meaning to BFF, doesn't it? Here's the second lesson. He says, the way you use your money now will determine how much God can trust you with later. Next scripture, verse 10. He says, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibility. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Now, so in in the last lesson, the first lesson, where he says, you ought to learn from this shrewd guy. That's the comparison, okay? Here we flip it to the contrast. Here he's going, that guy was like this. You shouldn't be like that. I mean, you, you ought to do it with your own money, but don't be crooked with other people's money. And so he gives a whole little lesson on trustworthiness, and he makes Father God the the uh, the owner, and he makes you uh, the, the manager. He says, uh, he says, Uh, the real story doesn't end at a new job. It doesn't even end at death. God is watching how honest you are and how you handle his money because it's all his. If you want more responsibility, you know, even at work, if you feel like, boy, I wish they would trust me with more responsibility, uh, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that responsibility that you have right now may come through your earthly boss, but it's from God. Okay? He's shaping you. He's forming you. And if you want more responsibility, you do really well with the things that you have. Take care of the stuff that you have. Take care of the people that you have. And God will trust you with more in this life, but especially in the life to come. If you want more money, he says, don't whine and complain about it. Be industrious. Work hard. But take care of it. Use the money that you have in a responsible way and in a good way, and God will trust you with more. It only makes sense, it only makes sense because God has a strategy, God has a plan. God's got a redemptive thing that's going on and he's looking around for people who will use his money wisely and if you use it wisely, it would make sense for him to trust you with more so that you'll, you'll do the work of Jesus on the earth. And so the shrewd money manager got an A in the moment, but he got an F for eternity because he wasn't trustworthy. There's two things with this. Heaven's real. Heaven's real. You know there's a movie about a kid who went to heaven. I think it's called that, isn't it? Heaven is real. Anybody seen it? Anybody seen it? And there are mixed reviews, okay? Even among Christians. You know, some, some people say it's the best thing I've ever seen. Others go, yeah, really. You know, how, you know, it's, it just seems kind of, kind of trumped up. And you know, I'm not here to be the reviewer because I haven't seen it yet. But I, I'm going to. But the 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 point is, it, heaven is real. Whether this kid saw what he said he saw or not, heaven is real, and that's a good thing to remember. And heaven is a magnification of everything good here. That's just what it is. You know, God didn't make the earth and and go, okay, mistake. I'll make another one, we'll call it heaven. No, heaven is what earth was intended to be, and it's a magnification of everything good here. I think there'll be beaches in heaven, okay? Some of the best beaches in the world are right here in South Carolina. Heaven beaches will be a magnification of these. You say, how can it get any better than this? They won't have sand in them. Does anybody else relate to that? I like the beach, but I can't stand sand that gets places where it doesn't need to be, and it just is is awful. The best meals. I mean, I I love Charleston. I was telling a friend of mine who was visiting the other day, we took him to some place to eat, and he said, my goodness, that's a good restaurant. I said, you can eat for a month in Charleston every night out, and you won't get a bad meal. Can you imagine the meals in heaven? It's a magnification, and you won't gain any weight, and they're all good for you. There are no calories. It's just awesome. You have a great day here. Anybody ever had a great day? Your best day here pales in comparison to what heaven's going to be like. And he says, he says, "If you handle your money properly and manage it well, God will trust you with worldly wealth, or with heavenly wealth. Worldly wealth is good. creates options, affords luxuries, but worldly wealth pales in comparison. To heavenly riches, so heaven's real. Here's the second thing about this particular lesson: our life now is prepar- t- preparation for eternity. That's what it is. If you don't understand those two things—that heaven is real and that your life here is about preparation for eternity—then all of your decisions will be short-sighted. I don't care how long-range planning you think you are, if you don't understand that this is all about God trusting you with the stuff that he gives you so that he can bless you and reward you in the life to come, then every decision will be short-sighted. Jesus says how you handle your worldly wealth will determine how much responsibility you'll have over true riches forever. Here's third lesson, third lesson. You will be constantly tempted to put your faith in money rather than in God. Look what Jesus says. He says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And by the way, this was an outrageous statement. Outrageous statement in his day. He says, you know what, you can serve God or money, but you can't serve serve both. How do you know that money has an attractional pull? I went and had them get me some magnets here. Now, you got to be careful with magnets. If you do them the wrong way, you can't put them together. It's kind of like being married to the wrong person. But so here's what you do. You need last week's message on that. Here's what you, there's just this, with money, there's just this attractional pull. This attractional pull. It starts when you're just a little kid. You guys remember that? I mean, I've got a bunch of little crumb crunchers around me and We'll, we'll go to a family-friendly restaurant. Every family-friendly restaurant has one of these. Why do they have one of these? This is a gum machine. Because they know that your kids, there is an attractional pull. Zzz, boom, right here. Right here. And your kid figures out, your kid figures out that if you'll take these uh, kind of, these uh, shiny round discs, and you put them into a candy machine like this, that's a quarter. It's a quarter, you get how much? One lousy piece of candy. Here, give you guys that. <laughs> Ridiculous. That's a ripoff. It's a total rip-off. And yet your kids, Papa, can I have a quarter? There's an attachment here money is my God, the kid said. The kid doesn't know that. But it's becoming his God. And then a teenager learns that money creates options. I don't have to walk around anymore. I don't have to have mom just buy my stuff. Although I like that, but I like to have my own stuff. And so money has this attraction strong attraction and then adults begin to order their lives around the the money gravitational pull you've probably done it yourself or had a friend who said you know hey i'm moving really you're moving yeah where are you moving cuz i got a great job better offer more money really that's good how's that going to impact you spiritually well, i don't know i haven't really thought about that <laughs> How's it going to impact your family? We'll we'll get through. See, the order of importance is upset by the gravitational pull. Where I ought to be thinking about my spiritual life and my family and then kind of money third, it kind of gets out of order. Now, it's not always wrong uh, to accept a better offer and move someplace and make more money. Not at all. But I do know times where that's shipwrecked a family's faith because they had it out of order because of this gravitational pull of money being your God. You start liking what money can do. In fact, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 9 says people who long to be rich, by the way, that's just about everybody in this room. Okay? It's just about everybody in this room and I'm putting myself there too fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. This is some people who were just tracking with Jesus So they got sidetracked by this desire for money, for more money. And it says that pierced their soul, and the outcome was sorrow. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, Debbie and I went to a human trafficking symposium in New York City. And uh, it was pretty incredible, really. I mean, I thought I knew a lot about human trafficking. You know, sexual human trafficking where they, you know, lure or kidnap usually girls, but sometimes boys into being sex slaves, and and, uh, labor trafficking, where um, they'll uh, offer people in a poor village, oftentimes outside of the United States, opportunity for a job, and then they come here and they're trapped uh, because of labor trafficking, and the lady that taught it was just incredible. She um, has written stuff on it, and she's the head of a college department, and used to uh, lead that whole uh, charge for a major city in America, and um, at one point during her teaching, she said that the love of money she 's a Christian lady, and she said that the lo- the love of money is at the root of human trafficking it's at the root it's a supply demand deal, and you've got a middle middleman who loves money. And so they use people in order to make money. And I remember thinking at that point, how awful that is. And honestly saying, I thank God. I thank God that, that I'm not like that. And then she went on and she said, you know, um, people uh, who might not even think that they're caught up by that can fuel it. And then she talked about the fact that, that one of the things that drives the labor trafficking is our desire to pay less and less and less and less money for the things that we get. And we don't even notice or care about where it's coming from, what labor is producing it. Uh, Things like um, uh, supply chain transparency, words that I'd never heard of. And as I sat there, I thought, you know, I like a good deal and it's okay to like a good deal. But you know what, part of it is my love of money may very well be driving some things that I hate in the world. And I saw how easy it is to let money become your God. So let me flip your outline sheet and I'll just take just a minute to go through this. I just thought, how can you keep money from being your God? Let me give you four or five practical things. Number one, thank God for it when you receive it. When you receive your paycheck, you know when you sit down to eat, I hope you pray. You say, God, thank you for this food. Thank you that it's blessed by you. When you receive a paycheck, a bonus, or however you get your money, just take time to thank God for it. Say, God, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Thank you for this resource. Thank you for this money. And I thank you that it's blessed and help me to use it as I should. Second thing you do is set a reasonable standard of living. Okay? Okay? What is a reasonable standard of living? Rule of thumb, it's less than you receive, okay? Someone said if your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. How have you know that's true? So you need to say, set a reasonable um, uh, level of living, and it needs to be less than your income. How much less? That's the question. And you ask God that. If you're a college student, it's probably not a lot less, Okay, let's just be honest. It's just probably not a lot less. But you can give. Everybody can give. Everybody can bless people. If you're an NBA basketball star, it probably ought to be a lot less. You say how much less? We like to tell other people how much less their standard of living should be. It's really between you and God. I, uh, there's a friend that I have that um, I won't even mention his name. You don't know him. He's a business guy. Uh, had millions and millions and millions of dollars coming in, sold his business, and decided he was going to leverage his money for the kingdom of God. And so he decided to approach it like a, um, an investment person would, and he looked around for what is the best investments in the kingdom of God that will reap the most returns, and he spent his life giving toward that. And, and he told me, he said, I set a level, of, a, a standard of living that was well below my income. And I said, God, everything else, I'm not just going to haphazardly give, but I'm going to give it in a way that leverages it for the kingdom. And one day he invited me over to his house. He lives in a major city in America. So I went to his house, and his house was a penthouse. It was the whole top of a building in a beautiful city. I walked in here, and I said, God, I could live at this level. (laughs) And God said, no, you can't. That's why you don't have it. It would be easy for me to judge him. God is his judge. He's doing way more for the kingdom than I am. So what we do is we just, we, we, we determine, God, what's my level of living? It's probably somewhere between like an NBA star and a college student. Don't go through life consuming all that you have. Proverbs 21.20 says, fools spend whatever they get. Rule of thumb, it's not good when the Bible calls you a fool. Okay, so number three. Give away as much as you can. Isaiah 32.8, I love this. Generous people plan to do what is generous. And they stand firm in their generosity. Two, two kind of phrases that you circle. Circle the word plan. Generous people have a plan for their generosity. Not just haphazard, a plan. And then they stand firm. Circle stand firm. They stand firm. Good and bad, they stand firm in their generosity. So let me give you an order of giving that the Bible kind of coaches, I won't spend a lot of time on this because we're just about out of time. But uh, number one, first thing you do with your giving is give back to God through the local church. Give back to God through the local church. Why do you start there? I mean, aren't there, shouldn't you give like to, you know, orphan kids in a foreign country? Probably, but that's not where you start. Bible says you start by giving back to God through the local church. Why do you do that? Number one, it honors God because he he asked you to do it. Number two, it invites the supernatural into your finances. God God says, I will multiply, I will bless if you will honor me with what we call a tithe or a tenth of your income. He says, I will honor you and say, well, what if I'm not tithe? start somewhere. But give back to God first. And it leverages your reward through the local church. Uh, Our local church does lots of good things. We don't even tell you about all of them that we do. Um, And uh, when you... Give to the local church. Um, There's a portion of your gifts that go to plant churches all over the world. I'm going to China this year. It's going to be a great harvest in China. And a little bit of your money will be there. And when you get to heaven, if you invest here, there will be a group of Chinese people. I'm guaranteeing you that. It'll be a large group who say, thank God for your giving. Thank God for your giving. When we go and we go on a medical trip... You reap some of the benefit, even if you don't give to the people who are going, if you just give to this church, a portion of our income goes to that, okay? Goes to that. Uh, we, I, I was asking our uh, uh, the guy that handles our money here, uh, how much of our money goes away, and it's uh, about 30% goes away, okay, to do ministry. And whether you know what's going on or don't know what's going on, whether you've given to our next campaign, which is like the next two years, by the way, if you have, God bless you. If you haven't, just give money in the offering boxes because that's, that's, that's what it does. It allows the, the local church uh, to, um, uh, to, to preach the gospel all over the world, things that you don't even know about. The second order is this, give to members in your, of your family in need. Sometimes we feel like, wow, well, you know, I ought to give to other people. No, if you, if you have members of your family that have need, if you don't give, you know, kind of help with that need, then other people are going to have to help with that need. And sometimes other people have to, but it needs to begin in the local, in, in your family. And then the third is give to members of, of the local church, of your church family who are in need. See, if we have widows and orphan in, in orphans in our church that need help and we're giving all our money to widows and orphans around the world. I mean, we ought to do both, but we start here. Does that make sense? So that other people don't have to take care of our family, okay? And then, and then the fourth thing you do is you give to those outside of the church in need. That's where we go around the world. But it starts, that's kind of the order of planned giving, okay? Here's, here's the, okay, here's the fourth way that you, um, that you keep money from being your God is manage the rest wisely. Give thanks to what, what you've got. Uh, Establish a standard of living where you're not, I don't care who you are, you're not spending everything that you have. You're able to be generous. Try to give as much of it away as you can. Manage the rest wisely. That's called a budget. It's a dirty word. I'm not going to talk about it right now. Uh, Number five, learn to enjoy what you have. Learn to enjoy what you have. See, if you're serving God, not money, you don't need to feel guilty about the nice things that God gives to you. Have you ever heard the... Concept that you can't outgive God? Well, you try him. Try him in it. God will bless you from time to time. You don't have to feel guilty about that. Enjoy the things that God gives you. So let me just kind of how many when a preacher says they're closing, it doesn't mean they are, but this time I am. Okay. So one last question. How do you recognize if you're serving money instead of God? Last part of the verse, 16, chapter 16, verse 14, 15. It said, the Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all of this and they scoffed at him. And then he said to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. He said, you guys look real good, but when I start talking about money, you get real defensive about it. And you know what? That's kind of how you recognize. When you get defensive when the topic of generosity is taught, it might be an indicator. In my own life, it can be an indicator of uh, that, the, that God is not God. Because can, can I tell you this? I'll just be real honest with you. I move in and out of this. There are seasons in my life where God really is. You know, that he's primary. And there are other seasons in my life where it's like I feel this magnetic pull toward God myself and what money can do for me. And if I know if that's, I'm that way. I'm a lot better than all of you. And so I know that you guys are having that issue too, okay? So people who are serving God instead of money don't get defensive. They want to get it right. So let me, let me just talk to you. If, if Jesus used how you handle your money as an example in a parable, would it be good or bad? Would it be good or bad? Are you making friends with your money? Are you just consuming just about everything that you have? How are you doing in preparation for eternity? Can you be trusted with what God has given you? Who are you serving, God or or money? Have you set a reasonable standard of giving or uh, of, of living? And are you giving a lot away? And is the order of priorities right? What if we all did that? Can you imagine what a major, major impact? We could could have more impact than we're even having right now in this community and around the world. Would you agree with me on that? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for for your teaching through Jesus. He's not afraid to just wade in where it gets real close to our hearts. And God, tonight, we want to bring our hearts close to you. We want to be people like you. We want to be people who are generous, who make friends with our money, not just consume it on ourselves, who make a difference in the world. And Lord, we look forward to the day when we'll be with you and you roll back the curtain and we get to see a little bit of the results of what our money did when it was well spent for your kingdom. God, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done tonight as we just uh, open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.